0: WBZ Original. I'm Larry Galco. I'm Roger Berkowitz, and
1: this is Name Brands, the podcast about the story behind your favorite brands. Today we're pleased to have David Kahn with us. David Kahn has a stellar 30-year track record in the footwear industry, having started in sales at Macy's while in college. After graduating, David became the company's first ever athletic footwear buyer. He launched the Macy's Athletic Club, which became the largest department store retailer of athletic footwear and apparel in the United States. Upon this success, he joined Nike and became one of the youngest managers in the company. David was the head of Reebok North America and played a key role in the leadership team when the company was acquired by Adidas in 2006. In 2013, David became the CEO of Bergenstock USA. As he's often quoted, we are the stewards of a brand that is over 240 years old and dates back to a small village in Germany. He has spearheaded the efforts to drive the unprecedented growth Bergenstock has experienced during the last six years. David serves on the boards of the Footwear Distributors and Retailers of America, the 210 Foundation, which is a charitable organization for the foot industry, and the Fashion Footwear Association of New York. David, it's great to have you here, and I have to say that reading about your career from college days, I have to ask you one question before we start. What was your fascination? I know, for example, when I go to department store, everything's orderly, Macy's, Nordstrom's, whatever, and then you go by the women's shoe department, and it's totally chaos. There's boxes everywhere. There's shoes everywhere. There's pads on the floor. It's the most crazy-looking department. I want to know, what was your fascination during college, saying... I want to get into fitting women's feet. And don't say it was a foot fetish.
2: (laughs) Well, Larry and Roger, where do you think most of the women are in the department stores? You you want to see where the women are. They're in the shoe department. And why are there boxes all over? Because it's the sheer joy that women get from purchasing a pair of shoes. Shoes is the most emotional purchase a woman can make. They buy a pair of shoes to celebrate. They buy a pair of shoes when they're depressed. You don't have to lose five pounds to buy a pair of shoes. It's an incredible, incredible category. And it's the only category in a department store where you actually have to ask somebody to go in the back room and bring it out to you. You sit down. Mm. And while you're sitting there, you are literally praying that they come out with your size. Right. When they come out and they go, I don't have your size, you're, you're, you're disappointed. That is true. So I came into it by chance. I mean, quite frankly, one day I was folding dress shirts and ties. And uh, the manager of the store tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, we need help in the shoe department. And, you know, here I was like 18, 19 years old and, you know, nobody wanted to work in shoes. You actually right. had to do work. You actually <laughs> had to get down on a knee and you had to go in a stock room. But, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it a great deal. I never expected to make a career of it. But, you know, it's uh, once you're in, you, you kind of can't get out. Yeah. Oh.
0: David, I, I know you're passionate about your brand. And I understand, I realize this is a podcast. So I was expecting you to, to wear uh, Birkenstocks in here, and I, and I see you wearing Rockports. What's the story? No, I'm wearing Birkenstocks. These are
2: Birkenstocks. I'm wearing closed-toe shoes Birken. You will never, ever, Roger. I just ever, want to get ever, you on Roger, the for a second. Wherever you see me, unless I'm out running or exercising, you will only see me in Birkenstocks, and that's the way everybody in our company is. We, we don't wear it because we have to. We wear it because we love it. And by the way, the shoes that I'm wearing, and mm-hmm. they are shoes, are this is the holy They're grail? Very good-looking
0: shoes, by Thank
2: the way. you. It's the holy grail—the feel of a Birkenstock in a shoe. And this is what's out at retail right now. Well, I, saw, I saw a photo um, of some Wood show, and he's wearing a beautiful
1: suit and a tie, no socks, and Birkenstock sandals. Yeah, yeah, right? I did
2: black tie and uh, Birkenstock. I accepted an ooh, award on behalf ooh. of Birkenstock um, from the American um, the, uh, Fashion Award in New York. It was a black tie event at the Plaza Hotel. So, yeah, I did black tie and Birkenstocks. All right, so, that, okay, but that's, yeah. that's,
0: we got to get them together with Joseph Aboot. There, <laughs> there you go. go. All right. There but, you go. But, so, but, if I but, had a nice Joseph Abood tux, it would have been great. Ah, all right. Well, we'll, we'll we get, you, we'll get <laughs> you, yeah. you guys yeah. together. So, so you took over in, in 2013, coming from Adidas and Reebok mm-hmm. and whatnot. What was your perception of Birkenstock prior to you taking over?
2: This was a unique opportunity for me. Um, I'm a brand guy. That's what I do. I'm a brand guy. And being in this industry and realizing that you only have so many chances in your life to manage, to to have responsibility for a brand that is This is one of the most iconic brands on the face of the earth. Um, The brand goes back 245 years to a small village in Germany where a shoemaker put out a sign that said, you know, one word, shoemaker. Mm -hmm. And here we are 245 years later. And here we had this incredibly iconic brand. And not only was it a brand that I knew, it was a brand that I wore for 25 years. So I was a Birkenstock guy Um, after working for Adidas, or as they said, in Germany, Adidas. Right. I became known as a guy who knew how to manage and work for a German-owned company. It was this incredible brand that had such tremendous mind space and mind share, but it was tiny. It hadn't yet been unlocked. It was almost as if the people who wore Birkenstock were the people who only wore Birkenstock. Right. They were the stereotypical Birkenstock consumer. And I saw this opportunity with the team we had and with our team in Germany to unlock this and to say, you know, th- the interesting thing when you talk about brands is there are brands that people like, and then there are brands that people love. And I mean, capital L, love. Mm-hmm. This is a brand that the people who wore it loved. And my feeling was, if you had a small sliver of the population who loved something, boy, if you love pizza, mm-hmm. there must be a lot of other mm-hmm. people who are going to really love pizza. Mm-hmm. I felt it was just time to share this with a broader audience.
1: Tell me, David, going back in time, code it's 240 years, whatever, what did you find when you first stepped on the platform at Bergenstock? What were some of your major challenges, the difference marketing building a heritage brand versus a younger, upcoming brand?
2: Yeah, um, this is a brand that um, for many, many years was a manufacturer of shoes. It became a brand by chance. It wasn't really a brand. It wasn't managed like a brand. Mm. It was an incredibly well-made, handcrafted, made in our own factories, made in Germany, shoe manufacturer. And um, the biggest challenge was going from thinking like a manufacturer to thinking like a well-managed brand. And luckily, we have a team in Germany and global leadership that really agreed and really um, set forth this path to say, we've got this incredible, incredible brand let's make it a lifestyle brand where it has that emotional connection and um, there is no demographic for great products. I mean, our Mm -hmm. belief was... Mm -hmm. You know, this is one of the only products on the face of the earth where you've got a grandma wearing it. You've got a teenage girl wearing it and everybody in between.
0: You know, it's interesting. You, you talked about the emotional connection and the sort of love and the passion. So last night I'm having a, a, a family dinner. There's about seven people there. And I mentioned that we were having you on the podcast today. Two people immediately got up and started telling, like in a very passionate way, you know, it's not like, oh, yeah, I had a Coke the other day or whatever. Mm, They just sort of launched into this telling Birkenstock stories. And I think to your point, you're right. You've got a a different kind of connection in a sort of how do you best leverage that connection in terms of where you're going. Now, you made a comment before about never compromising brand equity.
2: Ever. Ever. Ever ever So ever. so could
0: you elaborate on that? Cuz I, I think I think it's a key point.
2: Yeah, I think you know when you have people that aren't we never use the word consumers. Mm-hmm. We have brand fans. When you have fans and they love your product, you never compromise them. You never break that trust. I mean, it's like if you have a great restaurant and people come in and they love the meals and all of a sudden they start dialing it in, you know, they're basically, you know, sooner or later you lose that connection. It's like a a great band. We liken ourselves to a great band. Mm. If you're a great band and you're constantly putting out great music and great concerts, I mean, Bruce Springsteen doesn't show up and just go, oh, it's a Thursday night, I'm in Pittsburgh, let me dial it in. No, you treat it as if every show, every concert is convincing that last person in the last row that hasn't quite gotten it yet what you're all about. And we believe that, Um, great brands um, that compromise themselves lose that connection. And we've Mm -hmm. all seen things that people use the term trends. You know, what's a trend? Why do people like something and then stop liking it? Mm -hmm. Many times they stop liking it because the brand or the provider has compromised that level of trust and that emotional connection that they have with the consumer, with the fan.
1: Well, you know, to piggyback on that, Roger, because I have a quote here that you mentioned I wanted to have, share it with you and I'll get your feedback because it, it really falls in beautifully. You mentioned, as you mentioned earlier, David, we don't have consumers, we talk traditional. We barely even use word marketing. We never, ever, ever use the word consumer or consumer demographics. Do you think the Rolling Stones talk about their fans as consumers? Never. <laughs> they talk about them as fans. So we act like a great band, not just like a great brand.
2: Yeah. So and we live that. Every right. day we live that. It's not just words on a paper that you might have heard. There's that a is, that is the culture, yeah. and that's yeah. the way you know every person in our company is. I mean, we have, you know, as much as we're modern, we have an old school call center out in Marin County in Nevada and California, and we've got you know forty or fifty people that take. Chats and emails and calls from um, from people, you know, mm-hmm. c- consumers. Use mm-hmm. the word consumer. Some of them are people who bought online and might have an issue. And does this fit? Blah blah blah. Some of them are just people who want to call and you know mm-hmm. rap about Birkenstock. Mm-hmm. And you know, if it takes ten minutes, it takes ten minutes. We're not going. You need to be on and off the phone in two minutes. When you're talking to people who love your product, what's most interesting is like Roger. You shared that story about at dinner last night. I've been on a plane where you're sitting next to somebody and, oh, what do you do? I work for Birkins. Oh, my – nobody's ever like (laughs) – they're always like, oh, my God, Birkenstock. And, you know, we were out in a restaurant once and it was me and a handful of people on my team. And the people at the next table were wearing Birkenstocks and they overheard us talking. And one of the people said to the – the guys at the next Oh my God, this is the Birkenstock team, and this is the yeah. CEO of Birkenstock Americas. They got up and gave us a standing ovation, you would have thought we were the Rolling Stones. So so,
1: so what do you do, for example, because that's a really great scenario. You know, let's go back in time. Because my perception, like many, baby boomers, Birkenstock's Roger, right? They're you know, the hippie days, Woodstock, All earthy true. what's that? All true. Er- earthy crunchy. How do you how do you take the consumer Whose perception really goes back decades to when it was earthy crunchy to now it's the new Bergenstock. Like, how do you capture their mindshare, get their attention
2: to introduce them to the new Bergenstock so they become these fans? Sure. I mean, we embrace our history, we don't go Mm -hmm. away from our history in any way. You know, again, going back 245 years, um, you know, handmade quality, but the hippie connection is, mm. you know, the story of Birkenstock is right. it was the late 1960s. There was a woman named Margot Frazier from San Francisco. She was traveling. You know, she was a bit of a hippie and a free spirit. She had no footwear experience. She was traveling around uh, Europe, hosteling and, you know, mm. seeing her way around with a backpack. Her feet hurt. She came upon these weird-looking shoes in a spa in Germany. She wore them the rest of her trip, and her feet felt great. She came back to the Bay Area, and all of her friends, you know, her little hippie friends, were going, what are those things? Can I get them? She actually wrote a letter to the Birkenstock family, Karl Birkenstock, the heir to the Birkenstock family, who had never distributed shoes outside of Germany. And he said, sure, why not? Well, they sent us some shoes. She went out, and she went to the traditional shoe stores with a bag of them. And every single store owner said, Nobody will ever buy these. These are the <laughs> ugliest shoes we've ever seen. Put them in
1: the corner, let yeah. them get dusty. Now
2: Margot <laughs> believed so much in yeah. them that she found alternative distribution and that alternative distribution at the time was health food shops. Um Head shops, if you want to call right, it right. that. So that's how I mean. That's why I'm, you know, not running the company here in Boston. That's why we are in Novato, oh. California. It goes back to the whole, you know, summer of love in Birkenstock, and we've moved pretty far from that. But you know, Larry, the real answer is we never compromise that. You mm. know, the stereotypical Birkenstock consumer is still there for us. We never ever compromise that. And the example I use is, you know, you all remember high school. And you had you know, the high school cafeteria. You always had the cool kids table, right. quarterback of the football team, the cheerleaders. And then way over in the corner, you had kind of the geeky kids. Right. Birkenstock was, for many years, the geeky kids. Mm-hmm. Well, all of a sudden, we started to sense that some of the cool kids were getting on it. What we didn't do was pick up our, our lunch and mm-hmm. go sit with the cool kids. We right. stayed right where we were and we waved to them and we said, Hey, <laughs> now you figured out what we've known all along. And it kind of becomes one big family. So wow. that's really the key. It still goes back to we never compromise that fan who's been on our brand. For, you know, th- there are celebrities that you've seen wearing Birkenstocks, they didn't just come to it, but. Look at a Julianne Moore or somebody like that or a Kate Hudson. I mean, right. they've been in these things for years. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, you can't see a picture of Bob Weir of the Grateful Dead right. where he hasn't been wearing Birkenstocks for 40 years.
0: Right. Uh, so, David, tell us about the shoe. Tell us what differentiates
2: it. What, what makes it what it is? The beauty of Birkenstock is its simplicity, um, you're talking about a few pieces of leather, so to say, uh-huh. some cork, latex, and and an outsole. Um, Birkenstock is one of the most perfect creations on the face of the earth. I mean that with, without being hyperbolic. Birkenstock created what we call the footbed. Mm -hmm. It's the only shoe that actually molds to your foot. So after you've worn a pair of Birkenstocks, and if you're new to Birkenstock, it takes a little bit of break-in time. It's not like the typical shoe. You buy it, you wear it, you walk a few steps, you go, oh, this feels great. The truth is that is not the way a shoe should fit. You should wear it, you wear your Birkenstocks. We like to say it's like training wheels. Mm -hmm. You wear it in your house a little bit, it breaks in a little bit, and then after a couple of weeks, it molds to your foot. It actually becomes like the best orthotic you can buy. And if you ask anybody who's mm-hmm. worn Birkenstocks, they will tell you if there's ever an occasion where you can't really wear Birkenstocks, maybe a black tie event with Joseph Aboud or something like that, <laughs> you'll um, you'll have a hard time not wearing them. It is one of the most perfect creations that's ever been made in, in any category of consumer products, and it is the simplicity of it. And, and again, not, uh, but to go back to compromise, we not only will never compromise the brand, we'll never compromise that. You will never see a bur- pair of Birkenstocks that doesn't have true orthopedic benefits. Uh-huh. For, all, for anybody saying, you know, oh, you're the hottest thing in fashion and you're all over the Paris runways, this is an orthopedic product with uh, podiatric benefits.
1: I will tell you, my daughter, unfortunately, had two uh, sesamoid fractures. Mm-hmm. And she went to the top um, uh, orthopedic surgeon here at Boston Children's Hospital. She didn't need surgery, thank God. And when she was all through and, and they said, Kimberly, you're out of the woods. The doctor at Kimberly, if you're not going to wear sneakers, you're going to wear Bruggenstocks.
2: Absolutely. So
1: then also, just about a month ago, I'm with her at the beach here in Boston, <laughs> right? And she's wearing these pink rubber Sandals, <laughs> and I said, Kimball, I said, well, what brand are those? Yeah, the Birkenstocks. <laughs> Birkenstocks. because yeah. again, the the, the picture in our mind is yeah. a double strap cork, the geeky looking shoe. Said Birkenstock yep. makes a hip, cool, pink, yeah, sandal. And she loves it. Just Dad, they grace my feet, my yeah. arch. So just tell us what's happened since you came aboard, why, David. Why, why, why you, you just Why
0: are you just saying that? Okay. So I, I went into my wife's closet. Are these using? No? I yeah. went into my <laughs> wife. I went into my wife's closet. Does she know and that? I asked her. Yes. And I and so <laughs> oh, she. The
2: with, has a pair of broken. Thank your wife. Beautiful. And, and they're kind of broken in. They're broken yeah. in oh, and beautiful. they're stylish. Beautiful. They yeah. are stylish. Wow. That's it, her sister
0: wears them and thinks they're very cool. So, Fantastic. I wonder shall we walk the
1: talk here. Fantastic. So. And on top of that, I read also, besides the fashion that Roger just brought in, share with us Valentino, the Academy Awards. What's happening there as far as bringing this Bergenstock brand now to the showbiz world?
2: Yeah, yeah. So first on the orthopedic benefits, and and again, we don't make any medical claims, but what the podiatrist and the doctor told your daughter, Mm -hmm. we hear that um, in doctor's offices across the country. And actually, you know, my authenticity is, I was probably 32 or 33 years old. I ran a fair amount, and I had plantar fasciitis, which Mm. is one of the most painful painful things. When you get out of bed in the morning, you can't put your heel down. Mm. And I went to a podiatrist, and I got a cortisone shot, which basically masks it. And he told me... Go get a pair of Birkenstocks, and I looked at him like I'm a guy from Brooklyn. I looked at him like (laughs) Birkenstocks. Are you kidding me? me And the same thing, I got them. I wore them around my house. I was like, these are the. I can't even walk in them. There, and after a week or two, Mm. not only did they feel great, but the plantar fasciitis was healed. So I'm. I I mean, I'm in this for real. Right. Um, The beauty of it is, yes, it's been found kind of like uh, as a fashion item. But what's most authentic about us is those fashion people that are wearing it aren't people that are new to the brand. I mean, Frances McDormand wore our Birkenstocks on the red carpet and on the stage at the Academy Awards with a Valentino dress. She has been wearing Birkenstocks forever. If you would ever talk to her about Birkenstock, she can talk for an hour about the love of Birkenstock. And Valentino dressed her, Pierpaolo Piccioli, who's the fashion director of um, Valentino, one of the most important people in the world Of fashion globally loves the Birkenstock brand. So it's not like we're saying, hey, you're cool, can you make Birkenstock cool? It's almost like the people that are Mm. cool, so to say, at that cool kids' table are just, you know, feeling Mm -hmm. a bit more emboldened. We don't pay any celebrity to wear our product, zero. Mm. There's not a single paid endorser. So when we're living in a day and age of Kanye or a Kardashian, I mean, one of those Kardashian girls You, they get paid $300,000 wow, to do one wow. Instagram post, between 200000 and 300000 wow. When we say we don't use the term— I thought term, they like the brand,
0: yeah. different brands. Well,
2: hopefully they like some of the brands, yeah, wow, but yeah, the yeah. truth of the matter is yeah, yeah. that's what marketing's become. They're that's trying, the old-school yeah. athletic model. Find an athlete, pay them— This is the polar opposite. And I think, you know, Larry and Roger, I think that's why people are loving our brand Mm. even more because, you know, I don't want to get political, but I say this all the time. We're living in strange times right now. And I think right now, you don't know what's real and you don't know what's fake. I mean, Mm -hmm. here we are, we're, you know, we're in the world of media today. Some things that are real probably have some falsehoods to them. And some things that are fake, probably have some level of reality to them. Mm. And when you're living in this universe where the term fake news has become so prevalent, I think people want those few things that are anchors and can ground them in it's real. And when you held up that Birkenstock shoe right mm. now, Roger, you yeah. can't fake that. That's, That's as right. real as it gets. Mm. And how many brands can you say that about? Mm. And I think that is part of our um, incredible resurgence. Right. What would you say Birkenstock— when someone asks you, what category or what's your
1: niche? I mean, like, you know, I always ask people, what are you really selling? We know, like, Howie Davidson selling yep, freedom, right? Yep. Okay? Bergenstock, what are you really selling and what niche and category are you in? And you see the categories changing over time. Are they changed in the last six years? Share with us how have they changed?
2: Yeah, I think that brands who stand for more than their product, right. um, you know, brands who have that why factor that you know traditional marketing people talk about are the brands that thrive. I mean, you talk about. Is Apple selling uh, computer equipment or are they selling um, change the world by technology? Is Nike selling sneakers or are they selling you know sports and fitness and you know designed to the exact specifications of world-class athletes? The beauty of Birkenstock is what we're selling is foot health. It's orthopedic benefits in foot health. We don't define, we don't have a tagline. There's no just do it, there's nothing like that. Just wear it. (laughs) Just wear it. I mean, we allow the end user, it's about an individualism, but it's about an individualism where if you're walking through the airport and you have a pair of Birkenstocks on and you see somebody else with a pair of Birkenstocks, There's a little knowing, you know, nod between you, kind of like we're in on something Mm -hmm. that you can't quite define. And I think that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of this brand. No, it's
1: cool in the airport. If you see somebody in the airport... Walking with bergenstocks.
0: Oh, but because Larry has a BMW and he flashes his lights and they yeah. flash back. Him. Is
1: that what you're referring to, Larry? No. That's
2: great. That's great. I still
1: want to see Roger put his wife's shoes back in the closet as <laughs> she's sleeping tonight.
2: <laughs> um, Roger, so, does she know you took them? She does, oh, okay. actually. I with she, permission. No, no I the question is permission. does she
1: think you're going to wear them today, too? <laughs> well, so, She's a lot smaller. All right.
0: <laughs> Uh, I'm always intrigued about ingredients, uh, you know, and and so when I think Birkenstock, there's cork, yes, and, and 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 that's a very unique ingredient, if you will, Absolutely. or material that, that you use. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because the other thing is, because I, I I come in contact with it through uh, wine, yes, and there is a huge cutback now yeah. on a number of wineries because a they're saying the the quality and the cost of the cork. So how do, how do you interface with that? And, and are they are those two industries that sort of play off one another?
2: Yeah, I believe aside from the, the wine industry, Birkenstock is the largest user of cork in the world. Cork is an incredible material that I didn't really understand until I came to Birkenstock. It is one of the most sustainable materials on the face of the earth. They use it in the NASA rockets to cool down the engines. I mean, that's how incredible it is. Um, Cork is all natural. When you uh, cut the bark, and that's what you use for a cork tree, it regenerates over 10 years. So when you talk about sustainability and people that are like, oh, we need to do a product that speaks to the, the environment. Well we've been doing this for you know a long time many years using cork it's we don't waste a single granule of cork if you went to one of our uh, manufacturing in fact factory facilities it is just incredible the cork granules are um, ground together and are with latex, and that's what creates our footbed, so it molds to your foot. It's an incredible material, so much so that um, you may have seen in the press, we're launching cosmetics. Now, you may say, Birkenstock cosmetics? Like, how crazy is that? Well, it just so happens that cork, if you take a knife and you cut a cork tree the cork tree will regenerate itself. I'm not saying in front of your eyes, but the cork tree will regenerate itself. So there are naturally occurring materials in cork, uh, a a material called sumerlene, that when it is um, synthesized and used in high quality cosmetics products, it's not that much of a leap to realize that this has incredible regenerating properties. And the people that are testing our cosmetics, and I'm talking skincare not just foot cream, um in Europe right now are having phenomenal results and we will be bringing this to the US and North America within the next few months and we expect this to be I mean if you have women who love you as a shoe brand now we're going to give them the benefits of that cork um in 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 healthy ways. So that's an that's interesting exciting. that's a
0: great brand
2: yeah. extension. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I read somewhere where you're also doing mattresses. Yeah, which is Absolutely incredible. Well, we make a footbed. Why not make a bed for you to sleep in? And when you talk about like high end, you know, maybe I'm like Joe Sixpack when it comes to beds. You know, I never really thought about what kind of bed I have. I'm sure my wife got a very good mattress, but um, there are European sleep systems Mm. that are far beyond. What most of the US, um, you know, US doesn't really use the term sleep system. Right. In Europe, this is a major, major... Um, I mean, you, know, you only spend a third of your life on it. Uh, of course, there. you spend a third of your life. I mean, shouldn't you be, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. whatever Birkenstock is to shoes should be what you are as a sleep system. So this also, it's made by a partner um, in Europe, the best quality, again, handmade, and people are raving about it, and we're going to be bringing this to North America all also over the next year. So it
0: sort of envelops you
2: like Absolutely. a shoe? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, so that's really the... It's like a footbed. The, it's huh. like a footbed to sleep on. And it's the highest quality. And as a matter of fact, um, we're we're planning right now that during Fashion Week in New York, which is in September, hmm. we're actually going to do an installation and invite people that are there for Fashion Week hmm. to an actual bed and cosmetics also, but an actual um, New York City apartment, so to say, wow. that we're going to create a whole environment. Because when you see it in that environment mm-hmm. and you see it accessorized, and even with a pair of Birkenstocks you take off before you get into bed, it's pretty compelling. And having just laid on it for a couple of seconds, um, I kid you not, it's, it's pretty incredible, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a high-end bed made in Europe mm-hmm. um, with Birkenstock quality. Excellent. Dave, if you could change a second little topic. I want to
1: talk about Amazon. Hmm. Okay? Now, everyone thinks today, naturally,
0: if... Uh, David's shaking his head, but I, I, I want to say ahead of time. You, you, I'm betting you're an Amazon
1: Prime customer,
2: right? Personally, I am an Amazon see, Prime, see, Prime I,
1: I customer. Right. Go uh, ahead. So I, I oh, just wanted like, to use that as a prelude to your Yeah, question. no, no. If so you love Amazon, the question is that it appears today any business, or at least... The assumption is any business that doesn't hop the Amazon bandwagon to sell their products is going to be kind of left in the dust, so to speak. And I know that you guys were with Amazon, and several years ago you made a decision, a conscious decision, saying Amazon, I guess, does not reflect our brand voice, our brand equity. It's, it's not what we want to be. Share with us why you pulled out of Amazon and what kind of either repercussions you got and how does sales, how is sales now since you left the Amazon?
2: Larry, you phrased it perfectly. Um, A few years ago when—well, I'll put it to you this way. Historically, when I first came to this company, and we were much smaller than we are today, Amazon was one of our largest customers. They were one of our top three customers. By the way, the top three customers on my first day in the company, we now do zero business with. And while we don't quote our revenue, we're doing a significant multiple, multiple beyond what we were on that day. So um, the strategy is working. Part of that strategy was, it goes back to when we said, we will never, ever, 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 I repeat ever a hundred times, compromise um, the brand brand equity. Um, We did not set out to be anti-Amazon in any way. Um, As a consumer, I love Amazon. I got some solar lights for outside my house delivered last Saturday. I I ordered them on Friday. They came on Saturday. It was great. However, as fast as you can and as cheap as you can isn't necessarily consistent with um, what we believe is our brand equity. So we decided to exit selling to Amazon. Um, and I think, you know, consumers are starting to realize that there are a lot of products that you can get on Amazon. And no disrespect, but if you want batteries or you want, you know, underwear or you want dog food, go right ahead. It'll be there the next day. If more you, transactional. Yeah, more transactional. Yeah. If you wanted a Chanel bag, odds are you're not going to go to, Amazon, you're going to go to Copley and walk around and go in the Chanel shop, um, and we just felt the same way. And I think you're right. Some people feel they have to be there because the consumer is there. But you know, I, I always use this example: if you were a um, a Harvard or a Babson MBA and you did an analysis and you were working for Chanel, you might come back and you'd say, you know, the average woman who covets Chanel is also in the supermarket one day a week. Chanel should open up a kiosk right by the milk, <laughs> eggs, and cheese because she's, she's right the, there. Yeah. She's intersecting with salary? it. <laughs> and you may look at it and go, on a transactional basis, your consumer is there. She's buying something else. Why wouldn't you put it right where she is? That's what the Amazon paradigm is. But you know, that's
1: exactly what Legs did. Many years ago, because they said the average woman spent three point one days a week. Right. They are and they put the legs, eggs, you know, yep. pantyhose yep. right in the, in but, the area of the staple that products. was almost a disposable, right? You know, in Absolutely. Terms of right. And yes. we believe just so, the yes. opposite. You're we right,
2: believe right, that mm. there are some things that should be a little bit less transactional right. and a bit more emotional mm. and. Um, You know, we're pretty—there's no gray area for us on this. And we made the leap to not do—and we never went public with it. It's not like we made some public breakup or statement, unfortunately. Or fortunately, um, some of our communication in the market um, to our retailers was made public. And um, and it, it served us quite well. Again, we're not trying to be the poster boy for do-good or anti-Amazon. We're not anti-Amazon. We're pro-Birkenstock. And pro-Birkenstock means that sometimes you need to make challenging yeah. decisions on yeah, whether no, you distribute no, that, your product.
0: That, that, that makes a lot of sense. There's no question. You manufacture in a small town in Germany. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. What was that movie that was, it, it, that was? I guess there's a number of movies, but what was the movie? Something about Budapest, the Hotel Budapest, or Hotel something?
2: Budapest, man. Was, was that in the movie? Is that
0: I, was, I, I think that was shot there. Was that in the, think, in the yeah. same town where? Uh... I
2: don't know if it was. Um, it, it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's you know you're out in the countryside of Germany. It's everything that you can kind of romanticize but it's truly um, handmade, very old school, the way the shoes are made. Our factories, I think we've only allowed a few media to be behind the curtain there. I liken it to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, I mean, for shoe people. And being in the footwear business for so long and traveling to Asia and being in factories, I can tell you, um, Birkenstock and Made in Germany, we make our shoes in uh, Partners in Portugal, it is the highest quality. You walk through these factories, it's pretty incredible.
0: So you've never been tempted, like, 99% of the rest of the shoe industry to move uh, manufacturing to Asia or China or Vietnam?
2: Uh, I... I- it's probably been tempted through the years, um, but I don't think there's any real advantage to it. And and right, I'm on the board of the footwear distributors and retailers of America, and right now there's board calls three times a week because of, you know, the president's talk mm-hmm. on tariffs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're sitting pretty right now. We're not involved in any of that tariff situation because we are made in Germany. And I think staying true to the quality and the heritage and the authenticity is very important. I mean, you know, I like to say, you know, you said it at the beginning, but I'm just the steward of this brand. There, are, there's, there's somebody's name on every shoe we make, and they have a 245-year history in Germany. And when you look at great German-quality brands, um, it's, it's it's what we do. It's, it's what we're all about. You know, it also appears to me that, you know, you're— clientele or no, your fans, right?
1: Your fans. Thank you. Your fans you. You're love hilarious. and respect your brand yeah. because you have meaningful conversations with them as well. Share with us, David, what are you doing as far as uh, the importance of corporate social responsibility for the brand and how are you infusing that into your corporate culture so it relates to the fans who love your brand?
2: Yeah, I mean, first off, it's about your company culture. I mean, we don't When I say we're real, we are absolutely real. We don't fake anything. We don't, you know, it's like talk it, walk it. That's every employee of our company. I think the biggest thing we can do to be socially responsible, aside from, you know, fair manufacturing and fair pricing and all that stuff is really to create a culture that encourages our employees to do great things. I mean, our company mission statement is very simple. We sell products that bring people happiness and satisfaction. We sell products that bring people happiness and satisfaction, and that's it. If you stop anybody in any of our, um, you know, in our New York office or in California, and ask them, "What's your mission statement? What are you doing today?" We sell products that bring people happiness and satisfaction. If we do that right. It's good for our end users it's great for our retail partners and our and our um, employees and their families so I think that's really important I think people need to I mean I have a son in college right now he's going into his senior year he's at Berkeley and he has an internship and we've talked about this about how you know, I think the generation right now doesn't just want to work. I mean, I really spent a fair amount of my life just working and not thinking about anything beyond that. I think kids right now want to feel like they're doing good while doing good things. And and that's very consistent with the ethos of our brand Mm -hmm. and our culture. So so
1: you've experienced remarkable growth the last six years. What do you envision the next six years? What how do you look at Burgerstock expanding, and are there certain things that you're concerned about, where there could be perceived or real barriers to achieving some of these goals you want to achieve?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, two weeks ago, we just had a, a company meeting, and we launched something called our moonshot. We shared with all of our employees since it's the 50th anniversary of, you know, uh, Neil Armstrong stepping on the moon. We actually shared, and we have a lot of younger employees, so this was like a history lesson for people. But I'm a bit of a history kind of buff, and my head of marketing, Scott, um, really into this, um, showed the video of John F. Kennedy on May 25th, 1961, talking about how we're going to go to the moon. And the truth being, it's not like everybody cheered and said, yeah, we're going to the moon. Most people thought he was outrageous. It's you mind it's not science it's science fiction well what we did was we basically said to everybody and we have a saying internally we always go up to employees and we go is this as good as it gets and if they ever say Mm. yeah we go Oh, I don't know if you're sharing the vision. So we shared this idea of our moonshot. And it was less a moonshot of we want to be X in revenue, although we did state that. It was more what we want this brand to mean across categories to to the marketplace. We like to say we want this brand to be the center of the footwear universe. And we want to think differently and we want to act differently. We want to be on a higher level. We want to be one of those companies that you don't just think about as a shoe company. There's a big difference between Apple and anybody else who does what they kind of do. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference between Nike and anyone else who's in the sneaker business, so to say. And if you hold yourself to that level of ascending beyond where people see you right now, because the truth is, you know, we use this example, but... It's like when President Kennedy said that, there was a small committed group of people at NASA that believed it when most people didn't have the vision. When we came here six years ago, we were a handful of people sitting in an office out in the mountains of Nevada in California. We believed it. The world didn't believe it. Now, after you do it, everybody Mm -hmm. goes, wow, you know, you guys were lucky, you know, you guys just, you know, that brand was (laughs) starting to pop. (laughs) We're looking at it now and going, oh, if you think we're going on cruise control, we don't know cruise control. So we're going to take people to places where I think they don't think this brand um, maybe has the potential to be, but we're going to. And again, going back to that band reference, but... You know, the Beatles played two-minute love songs for the first three years. It was She Loves You, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Then they did Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and people were like, what the heck is this? They took people to a place where they never would have gone on their own, and now they look back and they say that's genius. That's the level that we're trying to hold ourselves to, not operating or thinking like a shoe company, but we're in the entertainment business. We're not in the footwear business. We're in the show business. The stars of the show just happen to be the shoes. And if we think about that, we're continually trying to entertain people so that when they go into a store, retail isn't just dead, but it's exciting to them. I mean, for all the talk of retail being dead, we opened a store in Soho Mm -hmm. on Spring Street off of Green in New York City. People would have told us we were crazy to open a retail store. We spent two years finding this location. Since it's open, we now have to have a security guard. I wow. kid you not. Wow. On the weekends, really? it is almost out of control pandemonium in a Birkenstock store. Wow.
0: Yeah. So there is a huge shift in, in footwear right now, and it seems to be accelerating. One of the things that's happening is that—and it, it, I think it fits right into what you folks are doing— but this sort of casualness, mm-hmm. away from the tradition, away from convention. Yeah. Um, where is that going? Where is it? Where? What do you see happening over the next few years to the industry at large?
2: Yeah, I think the casualization of uh, the wardrobe has just become part of you know the United States, Canada, without a doubt. I mean, it's rare that you'll see somebody wearing a suit and tie anymore, even on Wall Street. Um, so um, I think. I think health and wellness is the biggest trend that's really hitting, you know, not just footwear, but everything. And I think that plays well to us. Um, You know, having said that, most people in offices across America aren't necessarily wearing sandals to work. We're very aware of that, that there are some restaurants where they won't even let men in with uh, open-toe sandals. um, Some, hopefully not all. Um, But um, we are very focused on this, again, this holy grail of... The feel of a Birkenstock in a closed-toe shoe, the feel of a Birkenstock in a wedge for a woman to have a little height— And that's where it really plays to the casualization of the workplace. I mean, aside from a formal occasion, and there are a lot of people who send us pictures of brides being married in their Birkenstocks. um, And now the big thing is kids wearing them to proms, like crazy Mm, the amount of pictures we're getting. But aside from a few occasions, I mean, if you're going to run a marathon, you're going to go do CrossFit, you're going to get married, I don't know, maybe, you know, something like that, yeah. it may not be appropriate for all occasions. I'd say most occasions, maybe not all. I don't know. I could see a Birkenstock running shoe. <laughs> What's really interesting is most—there um, is a lot—forget the celebrities who are our fans. I can't even begin to tell you how many professional athletes wear Birkenstock when they're not on the court or the field as a recovery shoe. Um, there's a gentleman named Scott Jurek. Scott Jurek is the world's best ultra marathoner in the world. Um, he wears brooks when he runs. Um, you know, he ran the Appalachian Trail. I mean, he is a legend. When he's not running, he wears Birkenstocks because he feels that they have extended his running life. Um, Navy SEALs. There's a reason why a lot of the Navy SEALs, and if you saw the movie Lone Survivor, mm-hmm. if you watch the first scene where they're showing the barracks, They zoom in on a pair of Birkenstocks. And I might have been the only person to catch that, but it's real. The Navy SEALs um, wear them when they're not in training to help their feet recover. It's a pretty incredible phenomenon. So I think the biggest trend is just wearing things that are good for you and doing things that are good for you. Beautiful. David Gahan, thanks very
0: much uh, for joining us today. Larry, what do you you think? This was... uh well, I'm back again, very, very, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no,
1: no. The thing is pretty cool is that really, you know, you, you, David, are authentic, and you know, without a doubt, you believe and you live this brand. You know, so I, they, they they are they are so lucky to have you at the helm. Well, no, thank I, you. That
2: means a lot. And our yeah. leadership in Germany, I can't say enough about. Um, you know, our co CEOs. And the team, everyone, I mean, this this passionate missionary thing, mm. this is what we live and yeah. breathe every minute of every day. And hopefully, it comes through in the products that we create and how we communicate. And, and, and I, I think that one of the key points here
1: is not compromising ever
0: mm. Mm. on
2: brand Ever, equity. ever, ever.
0: And you do
1: it, you lose it. So, but I man, think that aligns you. exactly with thank Roger's you. thinking at Legal Seafood. There is no compromise, right, Roger?
2: I like to think not. Yeah, we are big yeah. fans. Big oh, fans. Well, thank you. Fans. Thank
1: you. <laughs> David, help with the uh, aioli. Right. Uh, See that? Uh, That's uh, pretty cool, uh, man. I, I
2: told yeah. you, me and my wife would get the uh, tuna appetizer, but we we invented turning the tuna appetizer into a main course, and we um, we think we invented the the serving it with the aioli. We may not have been the close first close enough. Ones. You're getting credit. For yeah, it. we're going to take credit <laughs> for it. Okay.
0: Remember to subscribe to Name Brands on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. We're at Name Brands Pod on Twitter or on Facebook at Name Brands Podcast.